Our text today is going to be found in the book of 1 John, so if you have your Bible, please be headed that direction. We'll be in 1 John chapter 3, and we will begin reading in verse 4 in just a moment. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4, and uh, we're, we're, we're in our next to last test that John gives for the Christian. And his, his purpose in doing that is so that we can know that we know Jesus Christ. And you remember, there are four types of people in this world. There's uh, type 1, the, the person who is lost and they know they're lost, they don't care that they're lost, they're, they're, they're happy in their condition, they are in rebellion against God and they're fine with that. There are those who are lost but believe that they're saved. These people have a false assurance. They are uh, false professors. Maybe they go to church. Maybe they are regular in church attendance. They, they, they give money to, to the church. They help out the poor. They do all these good things. And they think for whatever reason they have uh, that they are actually saved, but they're not. third type of person is the person who's saved, but they're not so sure. They think they, they, they may be lost. They don't have assurance. Their, their faith wavers, they, they kind of go back and forth, and they, they think they may actually be going to hell when, in fact, they're going to heaven. And then the fourth type of person is the person who's saved, and they know it. They have assurance, and they are confident, confident in that, and they move forward in their walk with God. Now, the goal of this series is twofold. The main focus of, the, of this little series is for person number three, the person who is saved, but they don't have assurance. It's my hope that as we look at these different tests, that, that, that each of us will apply these to our own lives. And if we are truly a Christian, if we are truly saved, we're truly a believer, we know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that, that these objective tests that we can apply to ourselves will, will give us confidence, will give us assurance, and that way we can move forward in our walk with God. It's not based on our feelings, it's based on objective reality. The other and secondary focus is that second group, the person who, who thinks that they're saved, but they're actually not. And John talks about this type of person. They make a profession, they, they say a bunch of things, but their, their life doesn't back it up. Maybe they've, this person's had a religious experience, they've, they've had whatever it was in their past that's made them think that they are a Christian. Maybe it's they, they think that their good works is going to do it along with Jesus or, or whatever it is. But it's my hope that each of us will apply this to ourselves and if you are not saved, that this, these tests will help you see that you're not saved, and you'll put your faith in Christ for salvation. Now, our text today is very black and white, okay? And, and John, whenever he writes in 1 John, he is very, very, I mean, he gives stark contrast. He doesn't, he, he doesn't give a bunch of nuance. He doesn't, uh, he, he doesn't, he, 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 it's just laid out black and white, and it's, it's not very comfortable, really. And, but it's important that we understand what he's saying, and we dare not water it down or soften its blow. Today's text is what, uh, what I'm going to call the righteousness test, and, and that is this. No child of God will or can live a life that's characterized by sin. No child of God can or will live a life characterized by sin. Now, if you found 1 John chapter 3 and you're able to, I'd like you to stand in honor of God's word. We'll pick up in verse 4 and read down to verse 10. John says, Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Little children, make sure no one deceives you, the one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. 
the Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin, because his seed abides in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. Thank you. you may be seated. Now, there are three truths I want you to, uh, to, to notice in our text today. The first thing that I want you to see is that sin is lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. If you look back at verse 4, you'll see that that very thing is said uh, in black and white. John is making a broad statement. He says, everyone, without exception, regardless of what you claim about your religious experience, your church affiliation, or anything else, he says, everyone who practices sin practices lawlessness. Now, John does something here that we don't readily pick up on in English because English is not as, as precise in, in some of the stuff, that uh, in, in some of its conventions, as what the Greek is. But when he says practices, and, and you'll notice as, he, as we read down through this, you'll notice he talks about practicing sin, or, or sometimes he just says sins, uh, if somebody sins. The, the tense of the words that he's using indicates this is an ongoing action. We don't really pick up on that in English, but it's important to understand this because that, that is a key to understanding his meaning in this text. He says that, 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 that everyone who practices sin practices lawlessness. Now again... It, it, could, it could literally be rendered everyone who does sin, everyone who, who, who lives in sin, everyone who, this is an ongoing action, it is a way of life. It is a habitual thing with this person. This person is the person who's characterized by willful, intentional, deliberate disobedience to God. Everyone who practices sin practices lawlessness. Now, now that word sin is a general term, it's hamatia, hamatria. Um, I'm having trouble saying it. Hamartia. There we go. I get the R in the right place. Hamartia. And if you've ever studied uh, theology, you may have come across the term uh, hamartiology. It's it's the study of sin, the doctrine of sin. And I I should really quit trying to say words I I can't. It's not even my native tongue. Anyway, he's talking about sin. And and the word sin here means to miss the mark. And what what he's saying is God has a standard. God has a will that, that, should, that should rule our behavior. It should govern the way that we act. And his commands that reflect his will should guide our behavior. So when we read the Ten Commandments, that should guide the way that we act, for instance. And sin is missing the mark in some way. It's, it's violating a command that God's given, either that we have the sins of commission and the sins of omission. So sometimes God will say, do this or don't do that. And the sin of commission or commission is violating that. So sometimes... For instance, God may say, do not lie, do not kill, do not covet your neighbor's stuff. And so sometimes we violate that, we lie, hopefully you don't kill. You may covet somebody's stuff. Those are sins of commission. Those are, those are the violations that we do of his will. But there are also sins of omission where we fail to do what God said. So for instance, God says things like, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Is there anybody here who will say, and hopefully you don't raise your hand because you don't, but hopefully, uh, is there anybody here who loves the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength perfectly every day, every, all day, every day? Nobody. That is a sin of omission. We, we fail to do what God has said. Or, or maybe Jesus in one part of the, the scripture says, treat others how? The way you want to be treated. That's the golden rule. 
We don't do that. We fail to live up to that. Or, or the Bible says that God loves a cheerful giver. Do we, are we perfect in that area? No, sometimes we don't give or we give and we're, we're stingy. I mean, there are all these ways that we miss the mark, both in our actions, but also in our attitudes, our motivations. We have all these ways that we veer from God's standard. So in what way is that lawlessness? Well, God has given an expression of his will in the law. We have the Old Testament moral law, like the Ten Commandments. We have the various uh, teachings of Scripture in, in the New Testament, Jesus' teachings, for instance. These things guide the way that we should act. And we de- when we depart from that, when we go astray from that, when we fail to, to get where we're aiming, we have missed the mark. We have sinned. We, it's like, have you ever had a... Have you ever drawn a line and you thought it was pretty straight until you put a ruler down beside it? And then you realized it wasn't quite as straight as what you thought. It, it, it was kind of crooked. Well, God's law, his teaching is that straight line. And when you see where we veer off of that, that is missing the mark. And so, so, so the wording that John uses here is anomos. Anomos. It's, it's made up of two parts. A, which is a, a, a negation. So you think of an atheist, so A means no, we're not, and theist talks about a, a divine being. So an atheist believes there is no God. The wording that John uses here is made up of two parts. There's one part that means no, and then there's another part that means law. And he says that, that when, we, when we sin, we act like there is no law. When we sin, we, we reject the law of God. When we sin, we violate the law of God. We're saying no to God's commands. And so in that way, everybody who sins practices lawlessness. The second thing I want you to see is that righteous, the righteous do righteousness. The righteous do righteousness. Now if you go on in verses 5 and following, John gives us clear, unequivocal language for the purpose of Jesus' coming to earth. He says, Jesus appeared, he, he, he was incarnated, he came to this earth, why? To take away sin. And I can almost hear John the Baptist in the background, behold the Lamb of God, what? Which takes away the sin of the world. Now, I want you to make sure that you don't miss the connection that John makes. Verse 5, he says, he, he came to take away sin and he has no sin of his own. Look at verse 5. You know that he, he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. The Bible says that he who knew no sin, what? Became sin for us. Peter says in 1 Peter 2 that he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. And, and, and he was kind of restating what Isaiah said in Isaiah 53, 6. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity, iniquity of us all to fall on him. He had no sin of his own, and he was able to bear that burden away. He, he acted like the scapegoat in the Jewish sacrificial system. And he, he took our sins away on the cross. And the Bible says in Psalm 103 that he has removed our transgressions, our sins, as far as the east is from the west from us. Now, I want you to, to notice the connection he makes between verses 5 and 6. He came to take away sin. That was his mission. He doesn't have any sin of his own. Therefore, verse 6, no one who abides in him, no one who dwells in him, sins. (coughs) 
Now, again, he's speaking about the direction of a person's life. He's not saying that the, that the Christian is perfectly sinless. It's not, it, it's not that, that, that we are going to always uh, avoid sin. What he's talking about is a, a lifestyle that is characterized by immorality, one that's characterized by ungodliness, unrighteousness, wickedness. He says the Christian does not and cannot live a life characterized by sin. Now, notice how he addresses this in, uh, in, in verse 7. He addresses this to little children. Now, again, he's not talking to uh, the, the kid's Sunday school class. He's talking about, he's addressing this to the church, and he's saying, little children, this is a term of endearment. He, he says, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Make sure no one deceives you, and that includes don't deceive yourself. Because there are people who may teach this, what he's getting ready to talk about, but he says, don't be deceived by anybody. And here's the area of deception. There are those who believe and those who teach and those who think that if you are saved, it doesn't matter how you live. They think if you are a Christian, you can just live any old way that you want. But John says the person who is righteous does righteousness. That's the fruit of the tree. If the tree is good, the fruit's going to be good. And he says our righteous deeds is the fruit. The tree, the, the, the righteousness is the tree. He says the person who is righteous brings forth righteous fruit, righteousness out of their character. That's who they are. But on the other hand, if you, if you go on to look at what he says in, in, uh, in verse 8, he says the one whose life is characterized by sin is of the devil. Now there, there are a great many people today, and you probably know some people, maybe you've lived like this at, at some point in your life, who have bought into the lie that if you are saved, you can live like the devil. If you are saved, you can live any old way that you want. Some of us think that, that, that the main thing is that I have my card punched and I'm going to heaven and I can just do whatever I want in the here and now. But John says that is 100% wrong. He says don't be deceived by that. Scripture says if you're living like the devil, there's a reason for that. And the reason for that is you're not saved. That's what John says in verse 8. And we as Christians, what does he say? He says, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. We as Christians should not be doing the things that Jesus came to destroy. Now, again, I want to reemphasize, John is not speaking of sinless perfection. Because there's one person who is perfect, and that was Jesus Christ. None of us, uh, hopefully nobody here would claim to be perfect and sinless because you're not. But but, but there's only one person who is sinless, that's Jesus. And he, he addresses that at the end of this text. And the last thing I want you to see in verses 9 and 10 is that the Christian does not live in sin. Christians do not live in sin. Look at what he says in verse 9. No one, again that's absolute, no one who is born of God practices sin. Again, this is an ongoing action. It's, 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 a, it's a way of life. Why does he not do that? Because his seed abides in him. Now, what does that mean? This has been understood different ways. Um, some people see this as the, the seed being the gospel. Others believe it's the word of God. Some people believe it's the, the Holy Spirit. I take this to mean the, uh, the, the seed is, is speaking of the new life that's implanted in us by the Spirit of God at our conversion. If, if, if any man be in Christ, what is he? He's a new creation. Jesus, or the, the scripture says, work out your 
own salvation with fear and trembling. There's something that's put inside that, that needs to come out in the way that you live. And this is a glorious truth that, that the believers may fall into sin, even serious sin, but that is the exception to their life rather than the rule of their life. The Christian is not, is not characterized, their life is not characterized by sin. To use the imagery of verses 7 and 8, when a believer sins, and each of us does, that does not reveal who they are. It conceals who they are. But the non-believer, when they sin, it shows who they are. It's, it's perfectly in line with who they are. For the believer, it's not in sync with who we are as a Christian. But for the non-believer, when they sin, it matches who they are. Now, if you look at verse 9, this, this new life that we have in Christ will keep us from sin. And what he's saying is our, our nature is so radically different from the old person that we were before our conversion, before the unsaved, it's so different from the unsaved world that our very desires are changed. And, and, and don't misunderstand, we are still subject to, to, to temptation. We're still subject to weakness and passion and all those different things. But when we give in to those and we act and, and we fill, fulfill those things, when we give in to sin, when we fall into to sin, we, we, we give in to temptation, when we do that, we are not acting according to our nature. We are, we are going against the new inclination of our soul. As somebody has said, sin is ever active, but no longer reigns. See, Jesus has, on the cross, he has, he has, he has paid the penalty for the sins of those who trust in him. And he's delivering us from the power of sin as we grow closer to him. Now, I said this a while back, but it fits here, so I'm going to say it again. The difference between a pig and a sheep is they're both going to get dirty, but the pig likes it. And it's like that with, with Christians and non-Christians. The saint and the sinner, the, the saved and the unsaved. They're both going to get dirty. They're both going to sin. They're both going to fail. But only one of them likes it. Yes, there's enjoyment in the time. There, there's, there, there's that fulfillment of passion and, or, or whatever it is. But with the unsaved person, there's never any repentance. There's never any confession of sin. There's never any uh, coming back to God. But for the believer, when we, when we do those things, the Spirit of God convicts us. We confess those to Him. We are restored in our, our fellowship back with Him. Now, John closes out this, this little section by giving us a twofold test. It's really a, a summation of the last couple of weeks. Look at verse 10. He says, by this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. So he says, if you want to know if you are really saved, here's how you do it. Two things. Number one, he says in verse 10, anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, and the one who does not love his brother. He says the one who does not practice habitually, deliberately, as a natural part of their lifestyle, if you don't live out righteousness and you don't love your brother, he says you're not saved. It is obvious that you are a child of the devil. That is John's, those are John's words. Now, texts like this are difficult to read. They're difficult to preach. They're difficult to apply to our lives. Not because they are hard to understand, but because it's uncomfortable. Because we as Christians know the sinfulness of our own lives. We know as, as, as we think back of, uh, over our life, maybe you think about even just today, just this weekend, this past week, this past month. You can think of all these different times when you failed. 
when you've lost your temper, when you've, when you've told an inappropriate joke, when you've, when you've uh, looked at the wrong types of stuff, when you've uh, used the bad language, when you've done all these different things that, that you know better than to do, but you've done it. Even just an attitude that's in your heart, it, it's never expressed itself by any of those things, but the boss, uh, he says something at, at work, and, you're, and it just rubs you the wrong way, gets all over you, and you get this terrible attitude, and you start thinking about ways you can get him out of out of his position, doing all these all these different things, or or you're or or, or you you just really want to gossip about somebody. You, you have all this in your heart, and you know, even if nobody else knows, you know what's in there, and we know how often we fail. And even if everybody else looking at you says, "Man, that person," if anybody has it right, that person's got it. And yet we read stuff like this, and it convicts us because we know that we're nowhere near what we ought to be. And again, we, we factor in the attitudes, the motivations, and all those things, and, and it makes it even worse. And it causes anxiety. But again, this is not calling us to sinless perfection. That should be the goal. You should aim to not sin. But the fact of the matter is, you're going to sin. And when you do, what does John 1, 9 say? I've written these things to you that you might not sin. And when you do sin, there's a recognition that's going to happen. You have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ the righteous. And he goes on to say that if we'll confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You're not going to live a perfect life. You should strive to, but you're not going to. This is telling us in stark terms there is a difference between the saved and the unsaved person. Because the saved person, the child of God, wants to please God. The unsaved person does not. They don't care about pleasing God. They don't care about obeying God. We fail. And again, like, like I said, when we do, we have an advocate with the Father. And that in and of itself is what this is all about. If, if you have a desire to please God, that shows that you are a child of God. Now, if you had to be perfect to be a child of God, none of us is in. But just look at your heart. Do you desire to please God do you want to make him happy do you want to obey God if so that is that that is proof that you are saved but if you don't have any desire to do that that shows you're not saved and if that's the case the Bible says that if you will put your faith in Christ if you will trust him for salvation he will save you now if you're a believer you may have some sin that that you've committed that you need to confess to him even, to, even today. You may have somebody that you need to get right with even today. Maybe you're all good in that area. At the very least, here in just a moment, we'll have a time of prayer. That'd be a great time to thank God that he is active in your life, that he is keeping you from, 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 those, from, from those sins, that he, he won't let you fall into that stuff and, and, and sin finally and, and, and fall away, that he is active in your life keeping you from, 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 from getting into some of that stuff that you otherwise would have. I want you to stand with me as musicians come. And as you stand, I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Just in the quiet of this time, I want to um, 
encourage you to just take a simple look at your own life. Scripture says that the person who is a child of God doesn't live in sin. He doesn't qualify it. He doesn't equivocate. He doesn't soften it. He says this, don't do it. They can't do it. Because God won't let them. If you can sin and you can be comfortable with that and you can enjoy it and you never have conviction, that should be a big red flag to you. The Bible says that Jesus came to take away sin. And if you're here and you have never taken advantage of that, if you've never put your faith in Him, He has not borne your sin away and you are under the wrath of God right now. Scripture says that the the wrath of God presently, currently in Romans 1 rests on people that don't know Jesus Christ as Savior. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we, uh, we know even as we uh, stand here today and we examine our hearts that none of us measures up to the, the, uh, the standard that you set. All of us have missed the mark. Sometimes we go astray. Sometimes we fall short. Sometimes we know exactly what to do and we cross that line anyway. And God, we pray that you'd forgive us, that you would restore us in in our fellowship with you. And Lord, for that person who doesn't know Jesus as Savior, I pray that you would draw them to yourself. And God, we thank you as we prepare to sing about your amazing grace. We thank you for your grace. For sinners like us that don't deserve it. In Jesus' name, amen.